Josh Jacobs hits the walk-off. Mike White unlocks Garrett Wilson. Elijah Moore. Chris Godwin finally hits. What happened to, you know, Chris McCaffrey, Damian Pierce, Michael Carter, and maybe most importantly, Zay Jones plus Trevor Lawrence. Comeback win over the Ravens. Let's do this. This is the Week 12 Instant Reaction Show. That's Hayden Winks. I am Josh Norris. And John Daigle joins us for 4 for 4 and Betsperts. Let's kick it off here with a Justin Herbert show towards the end. The Los Angeles Chargers beat the Arizona Cardinals 25 to 24, going for two in the dying seconds of this game. Brandon Staley did. The analytics were correct in this case, Hayden, and it allows the Chargers to win it on the road. This was very Charger-y. We had a couple of decisions early on in the game that I did not agree with. Brandon Staley ended up punting uh, something that he probably should have gone for it. But then in the end, he does get aggressive. But some of the, the classic Chargers tropes came back alive here. We had two offensive linemen leave, Corey Lindsley and then the, the right tackle. And then Justin Herbert had a great day, I thought, just like watching him. But so limited, 3.7 average depth of target. Austin Eckler ended up with 15 targets, which might be the most by running back this season. I have to go check that. Um, and it was just dink, dunk, dink, dunk. And they ended up winning off of a great Austin Eckler catch in the corner of the end zone and a nice design. So it was not an easy win. This is another one of these wins where you look at Joe Lombardi and you're like, we need to stretch the field about the same exact time with who DeAndre Carter had a pretty good game. But for most of the time, this was, I don't want to say a a capped offense, but it feels like it's so struggling and they're, they're lucky they, they got out of there with the win. It's almost like they have to do what's necessary in order to get this victory. And like 47 attempts for 274 yards is not what you think of when you think of one of the best vertical passing arms. But it feels like this is something that cannot change until we get to the offseason. And you almost have to win around what the offense is at the moment. And hopefully Brandon Staley and company from a roster standpoint say, okay, we need to add more juice to this team, which is pretty evident heading into it. You know, we were calling for the likes of Will Fuller to the likes of Jameson Williams in the draft, right? Um, But also maybe from a play caller standpoint, you know, like they're six and five right now. Who knows where the season goes? But as you said, like DeAndre Carter getting 73 yards in a score, Austin Eckler 60 yards in a score. Then after that, it's Joshua Palmer and and Keenan Allen. It just doesn't feel right. You know, it it, it doesn't feel like what we're hoping for to to be tied to this quarterback. And I know it's a winning record, and who knows what can happen in the AFC West. But it's just one of those teams that you almost hate watching and just hope for special Justin Herbert moments that we got in the final quarter of this game. Well, I think the big criticism is the Chargers running the ball right now has not been great. So like this game, 30% success rate. They basically gave up on running the ball here. Uh, 23 of their 29 series started with a pass which I'm okay with. If you have Justin Herbert, you can do this too, but I wish you would see some of the explosive plays. You're not seeing any of that. Of note, uh, Joshua Kelly comes back. He played more snaps than Isaiah Spiller. So if you're in a really deep league looking for a bench spot, uh, he's available. And then Gerald Everett, he's not playing all the snaps. At one point he was. Trey McKitty was mixing in a little bit more. Uh, I still think Gerald Everett's fine. as like a tight end to with touchdown upside just because he's in this offense, but his snaps were, were a little bit down. Keenan Allen also back to being a full-time player in this game, encouragingly. Uh, talk to me about the Cardinals in, because this might be more intriguing where we get Kyler Murray coming back from a hamstring injury. He actually rushes for a score in 56 yards. Which he I was looks not good. Expecting yeah, he can today. run. 191 yards, two touchdowns, interception. 
so we get the James Conner usage and we also get the wide receiver usage. Talk me through that first of all, because it's the first time all season that we've seen, you know, two investments of first round selections here with DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown, who go 87 and 46 yards with a score for Nuke and Marquise Brown. Not saying he flatlines, but uh, it wasn't a huge performance like we've seen from him this year. So James Conner is very straightforward. 63 of 65 snaps. So like he's too big to fail. He's an RB1. I The offensive line I know is not good. James Conner's an average NFL starter probably. But if Kyler Murray's out there, and I think this offense looked a little bit better uh, this week. There was still a little bit of Kyler Murray getting mad. Uh, some Just some, some usual oddities from the Cardinals. Mm. Um, but... James Conner's a full-time player. Uh, Robbie Anderson, AJ Green mixed in a little bit, but Marquise Brown was out there for basically every single snap. Uh, both Marquise Brown and DeAndre Hopkins were playing in the slot without Rondell Moore and, and Greg Dortch. We'll see if, if Dortch comes back or or Rondell uh, anytime soon, but it's going to be DeAndre and Marquise Brown. That's basically it. Like, Trey McBride's out there in the Zach Ertz role, yeah. but isn't going to draw any targets. Just quickly. Where did they line up? Like it was at again 75% DeAndre Hopkins on the left side. Then we got like a vertical slot player in Marquise Brown, or was he as like the right wide receiver? No, that's like a minor detail. Yeah. We'll cover it in stats versus film this week. But just because they basically played the same exact spot this year, albeit at different times, I'm just curious. Marquise Brown 73% snaps in the slot. Okay. So there's your answer for this week. I think we're gonna have to redo this game once Rondale or Greg Dorch comes back because that's like a very clear part of this offense. Um, but if they want to get Robbie Anderson on the field, which I don't, it doesn't matter if he's out there or not, in my opinion, uh, he's going to be on the outside. I mean, Marquise Brown, we know now is going to be a vertical slot type of player. Was shocked to see Marquise Brown lead the team in routes run too, yep. especially after his report of being limited. Also, if you remove, you hint, Hayden hinted at it, James Conner now being a full-time player. If you remove that fourth quarter in Mexico City on Monday night where all the starters were benched, the last three games, James Conner has out-touched Keontae Ingram 68-4. to No one is even a factor in yep. a competitive game script other than James Conner. And I know that he had a fumble, but it kind of like won it back on some third and fourth down conversions and it doesn't seem like they're going away from them. At least hopefully, like, I know this team is really bad. I mean, what, they're four and eight on the season. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we just get good offense, though, and like fun scoring environments, at least for our sakes, because the Cardinals are going nowhere this year as a team. Yeah. But there is a chance, like in the final four to five weeks where they are, I don't know, top third in the NFL in terms of offense. I, I can see them going on some runs here. Yeah. Like it's not going to matter, but I think, that, I think they'll put up some points. All right. Next up Ravens Jaguars heading into this game. The Jaguars as a franchise were O and 183 when trailing by seven plus points in the final minute of regulation. Now one for 184. I'll bring it back fourth quarter, four minutes to go. Jaguars up 20 to 19 after a field goal. Ravens struggled to finish drives all game long. So you thought that, hey, this is another one of those environments that even getting to field goal range would be difficult. But second and 20, Lamar launches it from his own seven-yard line to the opposing 30-yard line on a rope to a 35-year-old Deshaun Jackson who burned right past two Jaguars defensive backs. The drive ends with a 12-yard Josh Oliver touchdown. Revenge game that we forgot about. And uh. The two-point conversion is good to Mark Andrews. So that brings us to 27-20. Ravens uh, up on the scoreboard. Two minutes and two seconds left with one timeout. Second down, Trevor Lawrence takes a bad sack fumble. We've been here before, right? 
They're forced to take their final time out. The tweets are starting to write themselves. What follows is perfection. 16-yard pass to Christian Kirk to get to fourth and manageable. Then a fourth and five quick throw to Marvin Jones along the left side with the Ravens muddying the interior and perfect timing with perfect placement by Trevor Lawrence. Another Christian Kirk dart to the middle of the field for 17 yards. Then a third and six dot to Zay Jones along the left sideline between two Ravens defensive backs. Running clock, 20 seconds left. Trevor gets the football, immediately throws a line drive to Marvin Jones to get his shin down and bounds. Touchdown, go up. Two-point conversion, like we said, that the Chargers also did in this game this week. Go up on the scoreboard. We know some shenanigans at the end. A 67-yard field goal that was short by Justin Tucker. But in the end, the name of this game, it's going to be said that it's Trevor Lawrence's arrival. I would say that this is now a string of three straight really strong performances in really good games that this offense, this team has found their groove. And sure, a couple plays here, a couple plays there, you always want them back. But the early season, let's say big screen struggles that Trevor Lawrence had earlier this year are no more. And we are really getting consistent, solid play from a quarterback prospect that I think exceeds a lot of the young quarterbacks across the league. And this was really impressive considering all the weapons around him and the situation that they were in to go up against a difficult defense in the Ravens. And Trevor Lawrence almost played it perfectly at the end. How did Mr. Zay Jones look? That's, I, mean, I saw some tweets out there. <laughs> I mean, he's the go-to player in this game. What Trevor was doing so well, and I'll pull up some of these plays with the dots, was it was a lot of cover two from the Ravens. And so Marlon Humphrey left at one point, but it would be like Marcus Peters and Geno Stone above. And he just find these hole shots right in between them. And you have to have the perfect touch to get over that cornerback or over the linebacker. And then down to the receiver before the safety is able to reach those. And over and over and over again, he was able to do that. Um, look, Zay has been like a consistent piece all season long, basically. You can get anywhere okay. from like six Calm. targets to 30 consistent. to 40 yards. Calm or down. here in this game, Daigle, 14 targets, 11 receptions, 145 yards for 18th round pick Zay Jones. So next year, when you think about this Jaguars team, when they might be relevant, it's Calvin Ridley plus Zay Jones plus Christian Kirk in the slot plus Travis Etienne's explosive player at the very least. That's fun. Zay Jones did something. You are correct. Oh, come uh, on. I don't multiple. think I'm trusting it. I, I mean, you, we talk up Trevor Lawrence on the show and I let you have your fun, but Trevor Lawrence even like didn't throw for more than 240 yards two games prior to this. Like, so why do I care? He's not good for fantasy. No, 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 no. But th that's underrating him as like a real legit NFL player. You know? Okay. That's a, that's a totally couple of games ago. I think that was fantasy, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but he was, he had a ceiling good. game. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be tough to exceed a ceiling game of three touchdowns and 321 passing yards when mm -hmm. Christian Kirk as not even a vertical slot player anymore as like a, a 15 yard route ceiling slot player right now uh, on this team. And look, he nearly had to play perfectly outside of two sack fumbles in this game, but we've also seen rushing performances from Trevor Lawrence too. Like I, I don't think he's bottom of the barrel fantasy outcomes here. I think it's like top 16, top 12 scoring weeks as we move forward too. like, this is just from a, a pure fan enjoyment 
and hope for an organization that has failed miserably so many times, you mm-hmm. could not have a better picture of what we've seen from Trevor Lawrence over these last three games. Yeah, he, point, he's ascending. To yeah. your point, Zay Jones, 24 targets now, last two games. Uh, prior to this for the bye, eight catches for 68 yards. So providing a little PPR juice. Uh, I, I look at this situation the other way, though, in that this Jaguars defense is miserable. They're terrible. Uh, the Ravens averaged 6.2 yards per play. Lamar scored 24 fantasy points, but the Ravens in five red zone trips, more field goals and touchdowns, nine goal to go plays, more field goals and touchdowns. So yes, uh, credit where it's due for the Jaguars offense, but if any other offense plays this Jaguars defense who came into this, the n- last defensive DVOA defense the last month before this game, I mean, they score and that's the issue with the Ravens right now. They can't put it in whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, that's the other side of this story is where the Ravens are right now, and they might not have a corner to turn offensively this year. Because, you know, in those first three or so weeks of the season when Rashad Bateman was healthy, it felt like this passing game was a bit more expansive. You know, the yards per attempt was so much higher for Lamar Jackson. And ever since then, it just hasn't felt the same. And it bears out in the box score. When you look at Josh Oliver for receptions for 76 yards as a leading receiver Deshaun Jackson with two catches for 74. And then you have Mark Andrews for four for 50. He dropped a touchdown, but there are other situations where like once again, the red zone, there's nothing for them to like lean on other than maybe Lamar Jackson's rushing ability. And it's, it's problems that they have that I, again, don't think that they can solve mid season and where they're at. So like, look, they're seven and four, maybe they're headed for the playoffs, but there's, huge questions on like the big play upside and then the the chain moving upside outside of Mark Andrews here and I don't think you can solve that at all. They did also have that annoying sequence for fantasy at least for Lamar Jackson where he rushes it in, gets pushed in from the 1 yard line and they say that they actually stopped momentum, they stopped progress of play. Yeah. Thus they bring that touchdown back. The very next play, play action, throws to Mark Andrews. He does the equivalent of batting it down as if he doesn't want to catch the ball and just drops it out right. And then the next play, Gus Edwards touchdown instead. So yeah, very annoying for fantasy if you have. Why don't they? Why don't they get in the Odell sweep six, sweep six? Like no, I think it's a great question. I, I think it's maybe Odell doesn't want to go there. I think that's I that's a potential answer here. Um, Travis Etienne did head into the locker room in the first quarter. Was seen on the sideline, but didn't play at all. For the rest of the game and he was uh, a foot yeah i think it was, it was the same foot foot injury he, and they they completely leaned on jamichael hasty after that like all looks, these takes of of snoop look. connor are he's non-existent i can tell you that maybe doug peterson's not the biggest fan of snoop connor is the easiest way of putting it and trevor again it was a third down i believe motions him out wide lines him up as a wide receiver and hits another hole shot with jamichael hasty for a 28 yard touchdown so uh, he's certainly not as explosive as one of the most explosive backs we've seen this season in Travis Etienne, but this is a pure volume play that this team obviously believes on in Jim Michael Hasey. And if this continues on to next week or the next week and so on and so forth, Hasey absolutely should be ranked within the top 24 running backs. He had 18.1 expected half PPR points. Um, he will be on the waiver shows. Etienne did say that he expects to be out there next week, but at the same time, players are always optimistic. And this is a foot injury. Foot injuries are usually pretty weird especially when you are a second year player a superstar and it's the same foot so we'll see what happens but and and maybe it doesn't matter but daryl henderson also we're expecting to be active next week 
uh, on the Ravens end, you know, it's so tough to project how these running backs are going to play out for them. Uh, Gus Edwards got the start. Gus Edwards is the one with 16 carries for 52 yards and a score. He also had a miserable fumble that gave the football right back to the Jaguars. And yeah, I mean, Kenyon Drake had two carries. Kenyon Drake yep. had one target. Uh, it just didn't feel like they wanted to get Kenyon Drake involved. It felt like in the, let's say, media meetings, the television meetings that they had that week, they said that they want to get all three backs, but it was the Gus Edwards show. And maybe we can take that moving forward, but he certainly wasn't efficient on those carries at all. 15.6 expected happy PR points for the bus. He's in our lives. He's in our lives. All right. As is everyone. Let's move on. What? To the Raiders at the Seahawks with a Josh Jacobs performance for the ages, 303 total yards for the soon-to-be free agent, 229 yards on the ground with two scores and 74 yards. He's the team's leading rusher and leading receiver as this game combines for 74 points, John Daigle. And it's one you have to go watch because there is so much that happens from the very first play and Derek Carr toss overthrowing Devontae Adams for an interception to Kondry Diggs. Uh, next possession comes out because the Seahawks then answer inside the red zone with a rushing touchdown to Ken Walker. And next possession, Raiders come out. Carr takes a massive hit. And we think he's going to be out for the game. Uh, you know, they start warming up. Gosh, who was their backup again? Between Nathan Peterman, I get lost in the bad quarterbacks. Uh, like, I can't remember right now. It doesn't matter, though. Didn't didn't play anyways because Carr guts it out. And Nick Mullins? Then, no, no, no. That's Vikings backup. You're, okay, yeah, they traded. Using all our correct. bad white quarterbacks we have in the league. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're all bad. Doesn't matter. Anyways, though. Jared we Stidham. Also, Thank you. Yes, Nathan Peterman, Jared Stidham, same person. Yes, correct. Uh, but anyways, though, we also saw then down by seven inside the 10-yard line with 225 remaining and fast-forwarding a lot here. But Jacobs also recorded his what looked like his first fumble, and then they came back because the Seahawks tried to review it because it was a fumble. But then they said, actually, they had whistled the play down, so it doesn't count anymore. So then the Raiders get the ball back, and eventually we just end up going to – also, uh, Gino trying losing a handoff to Ken Walker when it's 27 27 late into the fourth quarter, and Raiders recover that fumble, and then they answer with a 36 yard touchdown pass, flea flicker to Mac Hollins. And so then we eventually go into overtime in a tie game. Yes, there were 40 seconds left when the Raiders got the ball back in the fourth quarter of a tie game, and they just rather than trying to drive the field, kneel it out, decide to play for that extra period. Wow, come back. Both teams then swap possessions, and that's the house call you get with Josh Jacobs, as you mentioned. Over 300 total yards on offense this game. Jacobs, his fourth game this year with 100 yards and a rush touchdown, and he's the seventh player in NFL history to record 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns in each of his first four seasons. Just the equivalent of the Joe Flacco season contract year taking the Ravens to a winning Super Bowl. Uh, that's what Raiders, that's what Jacobs is doing for his own value, not the Super Bowl value, but for his own contract value this offseason, going to be an unrestricted free agent. As you mentioned before the show, Josh, we were talking behind the scenes. Um, not sure with the Raiders cap space, they could finagle it in a way where they could fit him in anyhow. But as you mentioned, likely looking at a franchise tag now, just because of how he's performed. I mean, they have to. He's, he's been like the highlight of their team, which... And he saved Josh McDaniel's ass here. Like yeah. I was seeing it on Twitter. I didn't get to watch this game, but Josh McDaniels is so bad at this. Josh McDaniels is awful at this. What is Josh McDaniels is doing? He's an awful head coach, so on and so forth. 
And now you have a player who prior to the season, he and, you know, his friend with the Patriots decided that like, we're not going to bring in the fifth year option of Josh Jacobs, which I understood from like a stylistic standpoint of who Josh McDaniels has been in his past. But when you boil it down and I know that, you know, they're bad. They have what, four or five wins this season. But I think Josh Jacobs might be a top 10 storyline of this NFL season from start to finish. Like he is playing a top five, top six season this year, not just in the rushing game, also in the receiving game, also in missed tackles forced, also creating big plays. And it's just so different than the Patriots dynamic at running back that we've seen in the past to what now he has single-handedly carried this team to the future because like Derek Carr has not been good this year, you know? And sure, this game is 250, 295 yards and three scores. But man, what he is doing with 33 carries, six receptions, 303 total yards, that's stuff of legends. Jacobs also had another 15-yard run on the first possession of overtime that it will go overlooked because of his house call. I, I think Josh Jacobs is without question price-adjusted the fantasy football MVP. Like, yep. There is not a pick around him, like Ramondre Stevenson kind of, but I mean, Jacobs right now for a ninth, 10th round pick is smashing. Yep. And fortunately for those of us like me who did not buy the dip, it's also a good long-term lesson that, okay, like we don't know. We don't know anything. So just buy the dip, buy the ADP dip. Yeah. It, I mean, it's such a weird thing just looking back on it and not to get too reflective here. Sure. But I remember even like when Zamir White got drafted, like there were, because we love to dive into local beat writers and their speculation saying like, okay, it's going to be Amir Abdullah in the passing game. And then Zamir White might overtake Josh Jacobs as a lead back role. But like from the jump, from week one, we have seen it's been the job. It's almost wholly unpredictable, you know? And But and by, it's been tremendous on it. And by the way, in the chat, uh, yes, M. Fiore Arena is mentioning that McDaniels had a fourth and one play call. Again, you two are going to go back and watch this game. There is too much genuinely to get into this show. Uh, four turnovers. Geno Smith had two dropped interception, not counting of those turnovers. Like he also had quite a few amazing throws on third down, as he always does, scrambling out of the pocket, stepping up, evading pressure. There's genuinely too much to talk about in this game. We would be here all night. It's the most chaotic game of 2022. Well, we know the Raiders aren't relevant for the playoffs. Can we then go to the Seahawks? Because they certainly are. Um, was it a good Geno game? Was it a good Kenneth Walker game? Because like 1.9 yards on average after I think averaging like two yards last week, he had two awesome touchdown runs where he like pressed the hole, bounces a little bit, pressed the hole, bounces a little bit when he got carried into the end zone too. But in terms of the long gains that we have seen from him this season, we didn't see it in this one. And for Geno Smith in the passing game, he still finished with the second most passing yards of week 12 with primetime pending. Um, only Mac Jones has thrown for more so far. Uh, but yeah, it, it's that was that easy red zone possession where it was the interception. So the Seahawks started off strong for Ken Walker. But more importantly, yes, the Raiders did simply handle the running game well uh, a, a monstrous game for max crosby as it usually is when you look up and see him play but overall i'd say it was it's all over the place for geno smith uh, if you look at his passing chart as well yes there are those deep shots and there are a couple drop passes here and there but also some precision throws on long third downs uh where only tyler lockett for instance can catch it as he's fallen to the ground and then he does the thing where he just rolls forward because he refuses to get up and take a hit uh, lots of that in this game so again it is genuinely all over the place in this game for Gino. 
Yeah, for Ken Walker, you're going to get games like this where the yards per carry is really bad because the way that he runs, and you just have to take that, but he does find the end zone because he's like just so strong. It makes no sense because he's not even that big, but like he is so strong. This is a little bit of bad news, though, for the Seattle Seahawks defense. No, because they started the season really mm-hmm. poorly, right? Really yeah. poorly. Then they got back on track with, you know, 13 points allowed to the Giants, 21 points allowed to the Cardinals, 21 points to the Bucks. You have, you know, a couple others, another nine-point game against the Cardinals. This is probably the worst performance that we've seen since that Lions game in week four, right? Is there anything we can take from that where they're not creating pressure, where safety's missing tackles? Is there anything you can take? No. Okay. Not on the surface, not off okay. the top of my head. Uh, also, I do want to say, because we moved on from it very quickly, but you know, it's Devontae Adams, double-digit targets in four consecutive games now, seeing 38% of the team's targets in that span. But more importantly, we are getting a little flash of Matt Collins here. The last three games without Hunter Renfro, an increased six-and-a-half targets per game. So the target tree is opening up and providing a little bit of PPR value there. All right, let's go to the next game. Hayden, it's over to you. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Cleveland Browns with a stunner, a stunner with the Bucs losing to the Browns 23 to 17. My eyes immediately jumped to what the Bucs failed to do offensively, but maybe talk me through how the Browns were able to win their last game with Cobra set. And it's so cool to see him go out on top in a game and environment like this. Yeah, I think it's been, that's been one of the better storylines of the season. Jacoby Brissett, I think he is an NFL starter. We'll see if he actually gets a contract. I'm sure he's going to have to go compete with a rookie somewhere else. But very poised, took a lot of big hits, was like limping around in the fourth quarter in overtime. Very odd game. Amari Cooper steps up big. He had a brutal drop on a fourth and seven uh, earlier in the game. But later on, uh, against man coverage, makes a defender fall, picks up a huge gain. But Nick Chubb was just dominant. It's just like another reminder that he's clearly the best running back in the league. Um, and David Njoku, he had one of the best catches of the year. Uh, one-hander in the end zone. So it was it was a great game. Um, but I think the Bucks side of it is where a oh, lot man. of the, the fun stuff is when it comes to fantasy. I mean, I've said it already a lot. I felt like the Bucks were a team, especially coming off that win in London, where you're like, okay, This is the start of something. We've seen Tom Brady in his first year in Tampa Bay hit the best peak of this team late in the season. I don't think they have that in them this year. Uh, There's two reasons why. Okay, go ahead. I got three three reasons. Number one, offensive line play. Right now we have Tristan Wirfs. He had an ankle sprain, it looks like. Um, It looked bad enough where the replay, they they chose not to show it. Um, apparently he dodged like a serious injury, but it's still like a high ankle sprain. It could be multi-week injury. Um, reason number two is the deep ball right now that I think they're one, um, for seven in this game on passes, 20 yards downfield right now, just looking at uh 20 plus yard, uh, passes. They're like tied with like really bad teams. Like the Colts, the Browns have the same amount of deep passes this year. They're behind like the Texans in deep passes. And then the coaching staff right now, I mean, Todd Bowles, really, really, really bad decision-making when it comes to timeouts. There's multiple times where he should have been calling a timeout and didn't. And that cost, uh, I think, Tom Brady a chance to win the game. And then uh, just like fourth down stuff, like punting when they should be going for it. It was just brutal. So I, I don't, I'm with you. I was expecting a run here, but offensive line and coaching staff, it's pretty hard to kind of overcome that. 
I mean, they had beaten the Rams, then they beat the Seahawks in Germany, excuse me. And then now you drop and lay an egg against the Cleveland defense. And like heading into it, we had seen this team want to be so balanced, even though the rushing wasn't working. Well, Rashad White and Keyshawn Vaughn combined for 18 carries for 79 yards against one of the most miserable run defenses we've ever seen in the Cleveland Browns. That's unacceptable. Like that's that's embarrassing, you know? Um, I've already used this phrase, but there is no corner for this team to turn this year. Like there is no answer for it. And I think they still win the NFC South, but I think it's one and done in the playoffs and a real microscope or spotlight needs to be shined onto the Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich dynamic because it's truly not working this year. Like things have changed. They've had awful injury luck, as you mentioned, especially the Tristan Wharfs here today. It doesn't sound like it could be season ending. It's probably going to miss multiple games, but he is a pillar piece of this offensive line. Not just at right tackle, one of the best young players in the league, period. Yep. And missing him is only going to compound this. It's only going to make it worse. And it just feels like they haven't figured out anything that's going to work. Where you have Tom Brady playing at an MVP caliber level last year. And some of those same wide receiver pieces coming back and playing at still a solid level this year. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Donovan Smith, their left tackle, has not been playing well either. Like lots of penalties. I just don't think he's looked as good. But there is a couple of positive notes for the Bucks. Number one, Rashad White, nine targets, caught all of them. So, and I think going back to the, the deep target discussion, right now Tom Brady's just getting the ball out and it's going to Rashad White and then to Chris Godman's first game since his ACL tear with at least uh, eight receptions. So good to see him. He Nothing like super explosive, but he's definitely healthy and the target's going to be there. Um and the Bucks defense, I still think, is pretty good. They were flying around. It was a good game for like Devin White, but just the offense is like average. It's it's not great. Evans just thirty one receiving yards and an eighteen depth of target. Uh, so nine targets, volume on a deep depth of target. That's do what we want. Air yards that I guarantee you, someone's going to cite on social media are the most useless thing ever. They're not coming to fruition because those balls are just being sailed way over Evans' heads every single time. They're not true deep targets. Mm. I think you already covered this, Hayden, but we've been talking about Chris Godwin every single week in stats versus film. This was the best one yet. 13 targets, 12 receptions, 110 yards, and a score. It doesn't look like it was any different, like it was the same exact usage, but just the passes were completed. Like I know that that is so simplistic here, but we were getting good Chris Godwin before it just turned into actual tangible statistics for us to, you know, get excited about fantasy football this week. Yeah. It, he was just so due. It was as simple as that. That touchdown was a uh, backside. He was not the first read on my touchdown. That's just a good play from Tom Brady. Um, Amari Cooper, by the way, on pace for over 1200 yards, the Cowboys got a fifth round pick for him. Fifth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, just go run vertical Amari, apparently like this is, <laughs> this is what you do in this offense or shallow patterns. Okay. So Nick Chubb, 26 carries 116 yards and a score. Does David and Joku keep looking good at five receptions, 29 yards. Oh. Awesome. One handed catch. Yeah, absolute alpha. Okay. Daigle from here on out. So they get this win. They're four and seven. I believe at the moment, it's the Houston Texans up next. Deshaun Watson is coming in. I know that. We have plenty of content to have before this, but does the redacted quarterback to you change the outlook of 
I mean, Mark Hoover's been already been good, but like David and Joku, does this bump him up a tier? Does it bump up a tier for Nick Chubb? Does it bump up that's, a tier for Donovan Peoples Jones? Does it get David Bell involved? So on and so forth. That's the thing. Everyone we would think would be good has already been good. When yeah. Joku's healthy, he's been great. And he was back in this game to running around on 78% of dropbacks. So back to being a full time player again. Uh, maybe it gives Donovan Peoples Jones a little bit of a higher ceiling since we just needed that touchdown juice, which he did get last week at least. But overall, I kind of just think everyone's sort of sustaining. Maybe instead these players sustain together now. But I also think back to the preseason and how just washed Deshaun looked. And it probably doesn't matter, but man, he looked awful. He just looked like a player who hadn't played in a year and a half. I think that's a fair point to make because I believe a lot of people are going to expect top 10 quarterback performance from Deshaun Watson as soon as he gets back. And it's a totally new offense that can be complicated at times. And he hasn't played on an NFL field for over a year and a half Mm -hmm. at this point. So we can almost expect growing pains, maybe even more so than we've seen from Jacoby Brissett, who for what we believe Jacoby Brissett to be has played at a very high level this season. And honestly, even if we do, like all of us here want to temper our expectation, just see what happens before rolling them out there. I can also tell you, I'm the one, for whatever reason, picked to watch a team that shouldn't be in the NFL that Sean Watts is debuting against this year. Yeah. So like, I don't expect the Texans to push him whatsoever because right. that that is literally a junior high team. All right. Next up, New York Jets at home beat the Chicago Bears 31 to 10. And Mike White, 22 <laughs> of 28, 315 yards, three scores. In fact, it started this way from the jump because Mike White opened six of seven for 69 yards and a score in comparing that to Zach Wilson, who had 77 passing yards in total last week against the New England Patriots. Uh, Robert Sala got on the mic after the game, said, quote, Mike White made the easy look easy. And I think that really simplifies everything here. Because we had seen with Zach Wilson at quarterback that sustaining a passing offense in neutral situations on first and second downs, even on third and long situations, difficult for this team to do. But immediately, the white guy goes out there. Garrett Wilson, five receptions, 95 yards, two scores. Elijah Moore on his only two targets, 64 yards and a touchdown. I understand that it can be said that, sure, Zach Wilson struggles most recently have been against the Patriots and that this is the Bears defense. But if the Jets coaching staff believe that Zach Wilson could do the same exact thing in the structure of an offense, then Zach Wilson just would have started out there. It looked different. It felt different. And the main reason to move to this quarterback was to unlock the playmakers that are around him. And again, Garrett Wilson had an awesome touchdown where he was being held in the end zone, shrugs him off, goes to the right corner, catches it. Elijah Moore, I'll pull up the dots, had a beautiful third and nine conversion with 31 trailing him, the safety coming down to attack, and Mike White threads the needle. Elijah Moore bounces off and runs down the field. And just by the celebrations afterwards and some of the remarks afterwards, maybe some of the comments made prior from a national perspective and a local perspective saying, well, they want Zach Wilson to start again. It's not happening because the white guy unlocks it all makes them relevant and gets the playmakers, the football. And that's all they need to do here because that has equaled winning performances so far. And you just have to have sustainable drives with passing being the focus at times. And it certainly was in this game. 
they kept saying that it was Zach Wilson's accuracy, not decision making, is why he got benched, which I find interesting because his decision making is really bad too. So I'm with you. I think we're gonna get the the white guy for maybe the entire year. Uh, this game, classic Mike White game, a dot five point eight yards downfield, check, hit the check down. They're gonna run a balanced offense, and the ball should funnel to Garrett Wilson because he's currently their best yards after the catch guy. I also don't like pinning it all on the Patriots defense playing Zach Wilson because we've now seen in like battle Royale players, DFS players exploited this, that the Patriots defense has been awful when playing an actual NFL quarterback. They are literally a product of their schedule. And so like maybe Zach Wilson should have done better because well, good quarterbacks have done better against yeah, the Patriots. To, to that point, it was a combination of things. Like it was a, yeah. a compilation of things throughout there. And to that point, like, Remember a couple of weeks ago, not just to make this one quarterback versus the other, but I think that's only the natural thing to do after, you know, this quarterback explodes for over 300 yards and the other young number two overall pick was incapable of doing that. And the win over the Bills, when Zach Wilson looked decent, it was like a time to throw of 2.37 seconds. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, all we need to do is hit his drop and then boom, get the football out. That can be unsustainable, as we saw against the Patriots when they take your primary read away. Today, Mike White, according to Next Gen Stats, completed 13 of 15 passes for 241 yards and three touchdowns when holding the ball for more than two and a half seconds. Okay. He already has more touchdown passes when holding the ball over two and a half seconds than Zach Wilson had all season long. So this is the stuff of getting to that second or third read at times, which Zach Wilson proved incapable of doing. Also, I want to bring up that it was rainy in this game. You know, Zach Wilson has said he doesn't like mother nature. Well, maybe he likes the mother part of that, but not yeah. the weather part of that. Um, but windy, rainy, whatever. This was as good of a performance you can expect for a team, again, to get the ball in the playmaker's hands and like teammates shouting, let E be free during Elijah Morris press conferences and then, you know, rushing Mike White in his TV interview afterwards. The vibes are good right now and it's not going to change. What Zach Wilson didn't do was feed Garrett Wilson for a target on 28.5% of his routes. Also, yes, a soft spot, easiest spot possible against a miserable, miserable Bears oh, defense. Bad. But at the same time, seven and a half yards per play for this Jets offense, their most since a game in tw since 2018. Also, three 20 plus yard plays, they're also their most in a game since 2018. Like these are historical marks that Mike White reached, and that is not a fluke. I, I think Zach Wilson's going to get Rosened. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's possible. Uh, I think the only way, and look, Joe Flacco's ahead of him. It's it's pretty simple. And again, I just want to make the comment. If the coaching staff believed that Wilson could do this, he would have played in this game. Like this whole confidence, they'll play him when he's confident again. How are you going to get confident when the other dude just goes in there and makes it look easy and you could not? A couple more aspects to this. Uh, we know that James Robinson was a shock inactive heading into this game. Uh Zonovan Knight, who goes from inactive to being immediately the second running back, goes 14 carries for 69 yards. It's so apparent that he just has straight line juice that James Robinson does not. And that's why he's playing. Uh, Michael Carter got banged up either with a foot or an ankle or a knee issue. And so he got bounced. And Ty Johnson was early on when the other two running backs were healthy, purely the passing down back. He did get home with a 32-yard score after Michael Carter left. But Zonovan Knight is the one who 
might be the early down back here. And Mike LaFour has done a really good job of, you know, making those early down backs create some explosive plays this season. And you can't run on the Vikings, but they do allow explosive passes. So I think it's another great spot for Mike White and even the running backs, whoever gets the pass catching role without Michael Carter. Well, and even Simon Knight hit three receptions for 34 yards. So he was like yeah. really trusted despite immediately coming off of like street clothes into, into the lineup. Uh, quickly. This on the is Bears. about the time of the year. Last year too, we got Austin Walter in our lives for a couple games. Yeah. Simon <laughs> Knight just seems to be replicating that for the late season run. Uh, quickly on the Bears. Um, nothing was really brought to the table here. Uh, but Dave Montgomery did try to put the team on his back as best as possible with 14 carries for 79 yards three receptions for 34 yards. Trevor Simeon had a nice uh, lob up to Chase Claypool, who he allowed to go up and win a contested catch despite pass interference by Sauce Gardner on the same play. Byron Pringle caught like a two-yard or an eight-yard touchdown pass when he mossed DJ Reed. It was a slow start to the Jets' defense in this game, but again, they were able to rally around uh, good offensive play. And other than that, like there, there really isn't much to say. Darrington Evans uh, worked as the second back on this team. And uh, yeah, e even the dynamic was the most interesting part of the Bears offense prior to the game where we got the Trevor Simeon is going to start, the Nathan Peterman is going to start, then Trevor Simeon is going to start. And uh, Darnell Mooney got quickly ruled out here with an injury as well. They also yeah. lost Equinemius St. Brown and uh, one other receiver outside Darnell of Darnell Mooney. Uh, another one. They lost oh. another one as well. They lost three receivers in this game, which is why Cole Komet had six targets. So just something to monitor. For, I guess maybe we'll get Justin Fields next week. But the the other crazy part about that is you, you mentioned all those wide receivers going down. Chase Claypool, 38 of 57 snaps. So That's who they lost. Else. Chase oh, Claypool got injured. Cool. Yeah, he got injured okay. in this game as well. Okay. Yes. There you go. Oh, I did not realize that. Maybe I turned it off at the end. Who knows? Uh, the Bears <laughs> coming up, though, have the Packers, the Eagles, and the Bills over their next three games. So it's like a tough stretch for Justin Fields, who was on the sideline uh, in this game. He's going to have to put it on his back. But yeah, the Chase Cable stuff, it's, hey, go win in isolation on a vertical route and use your athleticism. It's like back to that same exact thing, and we've seen no development from that. And uh, maybe we will for the rest of the season, but that's the only thing to uh, hang your hat on, hopefully, with this team. Okay, next up, Daigle. You had the Cincinnati Bengals hmm. and the Tennessee Titans. Bengals winning this game 22-16. Tough defensive matchup. How did the Bengals top this rugged, aggressive Titans defense? Because I don't see anyone standing out on the score sheet other than T. Higgins. Nine targets, seven receptions, 114 yards in the score. And that's really what happened here. Lots of uh, yards after contact for Samaj Ryan here, who did record 75% of his runs or 75% of his rushing yards today after the first hit, just grinded his way to become a top 15 running back in PPR leagues today. But other than that, honestly, nothing too sexy here for the Bengals offense. Uh, it did come down to a, this game being a late penalty that really caused the win loss and the Bengals direction. Uh, Kevin Strong was called for a personal foul in the Bengals field goal attempt when they were up 23, 16, for hitting the snapper after the snap mm. and thus the Bengals then won overall. So uh, yeah, it honestly just wasn't too exciting of a game. No one really popped. Uh, we did get a, a, a nice Bengals drive here. They had plays of 
32, 12, 13, and 24 on their nine-play, 92-yard touchdown drive that really got them going in the first half. But other than that, honestly, lots of T. Higgins, as you mentioned, who even had a roller coaster game, a uh, 15-yard gain on the opening drive, for example, but then also had a dr- – but that was negated because of a Chris Evans offensive penalty, so had to bring that one back. T. Higgins also had a drop in the second half at some point, but his touchdown is one you definitely need to go back and watch because he basically just uh, – he may push off, but, you know, if you keep uh, on pushing off, you don't get called for it every time, and uh, he created separation. So overall, like, it came down to more of being a defensive battle. Like, even if you, not to jump to their team here, but when you look at Derrick Henry's stat line, 17 carries for 38 yards and 2.2 yards per carry, you would think, oh, like, they stuffed the box. Derrick Henry actually faced the lowest rate of eight-man boxes today. He was stuffed for no gain on 29% of his carries. It had to have been a coaching aspect where they banged it into the Bengals defenders heads just making sure you have to gang tackle him you have to run into him and you have to pursue otherwise he won't go down I think that was more of the effort of the game I know he does 69 yard screen pass it's really good when this team I mean we saw earlier this year they got him more involved in the passing game then they went away from it they need to do that a bit more often because his offensive line has been quite bad this year and hey we always talk about this in the summers when discussing Derrick Henry some of his best work happens when getting to the edge because in the open space is where he eats up chunks of yards and the momentum just builds. Like he's not truly a between the guards, between the tackles runner. It's best on like these outside plays. And he was about to score a touchdown, fumbles it. Traylon Burks falls in the end zone. I don't know if that gets credited to Traylon Burks or if it just, just goes in like to the ether for everyone out there, their fancy teams. Cause I've heard it both ways here on Twitter. Yeah. I'm not sure. How, how did Traylon Burks look? Uh, yeah, he looked fine. As you were talking about, though, Josh, like that's the big, that's where Traylon Burks scored his first career touchdown was that long 70-yard catch. And that actually gave Derrick Henry now career highs. <laughs> we're in week 12. He has career highs with 20 catches and 268 receiving yards. There we this go. Year. He, he, he coughed up the ball inside the 10-yard line. Ball falls forward. Traylon Burks is there pursuing the run. He jumps on the ball. Has to win him favor. But overall, like, he was held to two catches for 12 yards for the longest time. And then Ryan Tannehill, 52-yard bomb, and it is a contested catch where there's a flag thrown and Burks is getting dragged down, uh, held by the back of his jersey, and he still comes down with the ball. Ryan yeah. Tannehill only threw four play-action passes today. He only completed two of those. But those two completions went for 120 yards because of these two big plays. <laughs> um, I am a little bit nervous, Hayden, about the Bengals coming up. Now, it sounds like Jamar Chase is potentially coming back very soon. He was questionable heading into this game. This was so necessary, and it continues a three-game winning streak. Because up next for them, it's the Chiefs, it's the Browns with Deshaun, and who knows what that's going to be. Then it's the Bucks, the Patriots, the Bills, and the Ravens to end the season. Like, we've seen some really high peaks from this Bengals team, and a lot of it coincides when Jamar Chase is on the roster. Um, but... What we were expecting to see from like Tyler Boyd over his last three games, he's almost bottomed out, you know, 16 yards, 42 yards, 44 yards. I know he was in and out of the game here because of injuries, but typically when like the wide receiver one goes down, there's an uptick for the wide receiver three. It just hasn't happened here for Tyler Boyd. Yeah. Do you have a good read on why that that's happened? I haven't been able to figure it out for Boyd. No, he me either. I I didn't say last week. I didn't know. He's literally just disappeared. Uh, did not appear on your screen. You would have forgotten about him. There's no penalty. There's no drop touchdown. There's nothing. He's just not there. 
I, I will say a win on the road against this Huge. Titans team is to me impressive, even if it's not sexy. Just kind of throwing this out there. Who's the best, the third best team in the AFC? Like you can make an argument it's the it's these Bengals. Like, is it the Dolphins? Is it the Ravens? I feel like I would take this Bengals team with Jamar Chase coming up. Oh, I'm taking the Dolphins. Sure. I will probably take the Dolphins until someone learns how to cover them. Impossible. It's a good point. Uh, impossible. And the Titans, it doesn't get that easy for them either. I mean, it's the Eagles and then the Jaguars and the Chargers for them over the next three weeks. Uh, just so impressed by Mike Vrabel over and over mm-hmm. and over again. All right, Hayden, your final game. One of those teams in the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, this one was completely one-sided. We knew it was going to be as soon as Matthew Stafford was ruled out. But in the end, it's 26 points to the Chiefs, 10 points to the Rams, who dropped to 3-8 and eight on the season. Meanwhile, Casey jumps to 9-2. and two. Talk me through it. You can't play anybody on the Rams in fantasy. It's, easy. it's as easy as that. This and is- right when we started, by the way, this game, Allen Robinson was ruled out for the range of the year with season ending surgery yeah that doesn't matter Tyler Higby like was not even a full-time player there's there's nowhere to go in this um this offense and Matthew Stafford it wasn't a concussion it was a neck injury and he's had numbness in his legs three and eight are they really going to bring him back I don't know this this is also why I put Cooper Cup on the drop list two weeks ago because you can you can tell the direction the Rams are going and you don't bring back a player like that when your season is going nowhere yeah, it's com- complete misery. Um, on the other side, uh, Isaiah Pacheco gets some uh, goal line touches, which was the new thing. Still is not a full-time player. Ronald Jones mixed in on occasion. Uh, Jarek McKinnon still doing a lot of the passing situation stuff. But Pacheco does, does uh, have a goal line touchdown here. And the big news for the Chiefs, and I'm hoping the coaching staff uh, tells us why this happened, Juju only 22 routes on 50 dropbacks. He was a full participant in practice every single day uh, this week. So I don't know if it's concussion related, if they were just playing it easy, but Justin Watson's out there for 100% of the snaps basically. And then it's Sky Moore and MVS playing over Juju. I don't know. Justin, I don't get it. Justin Watson led them in routes run too. That's mm-hmm. interesting. interesting. Very interesting. Sky Moore muffed another punt his third this season. God. I don't know why they keep trotting him back out there after he only had one punt so return bad. his entire career in college. I don't think it's going to happen anymore. I think Justin Watson has actually taken that from him now. That's yeah, it's, it's no good. Um, but I'm puzzled by this concussion stuff because yeah. teams are clearly treating concussions better. It's worse for fantasy, but better for humans. Um, I've never heard of this. Like, concussion part-time player thing like that's right. never i've never i don't yeah i mean the that. differences this year with concussions have been one they'll hold them out more likely for the second game and two the spotters in the stadium are pulling players out more quickly and three they aren't letting them back in as easily like that has all if we can use this word improved this season yeah. but yeah to your point here we typically see when someone returns from a concussion play full-time snaps because they clear the protocol but maybe we'll get coach quotes later today on monday and talk about it on stats versus film i did want to bring up travis kelsey i know it was just 57 yards in a score which did lead by the way all 10 pass catchers that caught a ball in this game for kansas city but in back-to-back weeks he has roasted derwin james in man coverage and he has roasted jalen ramsey 
in man coverage. And the dude is doing this at 33 years of age. Yep. Um, that's not so stuff. <laughs> he literally might double uh, fantasy points for a 33 year old tight end. Like the most currently, I think he might double it this year. Uh, okay. I guess that's it for that game. I need to talk about the saints and the 49ers. Steve. Yeah. Just for a little bit. 49ers win this game. 13 to zero. Saints dropped to four and eight. 49ers improved to seven and four. So just a few things here. The 49ers went 0 for 2 early on in the red zone. And then the Saints had three drives in the second half uh, when that was relevant. Uh, one, they missed a 30-yard field goal, or excuse me, a 47-yard field goal. Uh, then they got to the four-yard line, Alvin Kamara fumble. Then they got to the four-yard line again, and it ended on a Nick Bosa sack. Um on the 49ers end of this, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo had 28 passing attempts in the first half. 28 passing attempts in the first half. Ended with 37 for 222 yards and a score. The Saints defense was actually quite frisky in this game and was getting a lot of pressure on Jimmy. And he was doing all these different release points and trying to make plays. And Jimmy Fashion even got a point to force the widers or the running back along the sideline. Uh, there was some confidence there. However, one interception thrown directly to the robber coverage uh, was pulled back. And while it got some things going, um, I don't think that this is the environment that the 49ers want to continue on is having 28 pass attempts for Jimmy in the first half. However, they were almost forced into this a bit more often than they were expected to because Christian McCaffrey was dealing with a left knee injury. According to Laura Oakman, the sideline reporter got the mechanism on his knee changed and you could see him messing with it all in the second half just did not look right so that meant elijah mitchell finished the second quarter in the two-minute drill opened the third quarter as a starter then he left which the twitter doctors are saying might be an mcl injury and then jordan mason pops in here to run things out for the rest of the time with five carries for 25 yards so we're back to this musical chair stuff like this is the first time i know from a usage standpoint that the christian mccaffrey work uh gives us pause here but again i know he didn't miss the game but i want to bring up that it is very clear that cmc was not right for the full extended contest and hopefully he is moving forward because without eli that they believe in we could get even more close to the 25 27 touch mark for the rest of the season for cmc and maybe it's not the same but remember we have seen uh at least one game where Tyrion davis price was active and Jeff Wilson was injured at that time at the beginning of the year, and Jordan Mason was active as well, and they gave Tyrion Davis-Price 14 carries. They didn't give Jordan Mason a single touch. So, like, honestly, with Tyrion Davis-Price healthy scratch today, if both Elijah Mitchell and CMC are out, I would imagine that's the pivot, and you're not worrying about Mason, who's a special teams player. Yeah, special teams. I agree. Um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Maybe Kyle tells us, because... Jordan Mason was, it was close. It was 13 points. And like the saints only needed two touch on drives at the end. And they were relying on Jordan Mason to like run the clock out and move the chains in their final, you know, game ending drive here. Uh, Debo Samuel, I'm not gonna say re aggravate his hamstring injury, but he fell down in the end zone, started clutching it, walked off with trainers, did return in this game. Uh, Brandon Ayuk hit a couple in breaking routes on the same drive, eight targets, five receptions, 65 yards. And, if Jimmy continues to throw this much and like play at this level, Jawan Jennings is like clearly emerging on this team as like the go-to wide receiver three, who again, 
stats-wise, outperformed Debo Samuel here. And I know last week it was zero receptions, but we've had like 40 yards and 49 yards in two of the last three games. So it's just something to consider when we're getting to, you know, more injuries and more bye weeks as we come up with teams across the league. Debo Samuel was limited all week with that hamstring injury until he gets in full practices. I will be raking him lower than I otherwise would. And maybe the big exclamation here, what this was the best 49ers defensive performance that we've seen, you know, maybe since the early parts of the season, like every time that Alvin Kamara went out for a route and got targeted Hufunga or, uh, uh, God, who's the, Warner. Fred Warner was just, mm-hmm right on his neck, his back, his knees, just crushing him every single time. Um, Andy Dalton was under duress all day long. Chris Olave had a few deep targets down the field, failed to come up with enough of them, some pass interference in there as well. He did finish with five receptions for 62 yards. But it's just a game where 49ers swarmed them. And that's important for a team that we consider NFC contenders. Uh where offensively, if these injuries do work out in the final stretch of the season, uh, fun stretch for them coming up with the Dolphins and the Bucks and the Seahawks. But uh, I'm just glad that we get this peak 49ers defense back because they were attacking at all three levels, pass rushers, linebackers flying downhill, and safeties covering a bunch of ground too. With with Nick Bosa right now, uh, teams have a negative 0.14 EPA per pass. Tough. Speaking of tough, Daigle, you had to watch the Houston Texans today and the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins went up in this game 30 to nothing. They pulled their starters. It ends 30 to 15. I went to my notes really quick, and I was going to say I didn't have anything for you, but I actually have a lot of notes, and I'm not sure why, to be quite honest. Uh, Tua completed his first two passes for 24 yards, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, and that's pretty much how this game went the rest of the way. The Texans had 32 yards on 25 plays in the first half. Whereas Tua in the first half went 20 of 34 for 278 and a touchdown. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill in the first half combined for eight catches and 140 yards. And then Tua having that 30-point lead in the third quarter surprisingly comes back out, takes the field with the starters to open it up. He took three sacks on that drive. Jeff Wilson got injured. Tua himself took a very big hit and looked like it could have caused a serious leg injury, but got up in the red zone. They kicked the field goal, and that was it. They said, okay, this is enough. So everything you see from the Texan side of the box score, it doesn't matter. It's the most meaningless numbers you'll ever see in your lifetime. Uh, Kyle Allen then started throwing deep because he has nothing to lose. He's down 30 points. And honestly, if they had benched him for Davis Mills, it probably would have been welcome. He was so bad. So yeah, this nothing the Texans did today matters whatsoever. Yeah, Kyle Allen tried to build a wall with his targets along five yards downfield. It's uh, pretty incredible stuff when you look at it. I did. It's one of those games, Daigle, which, you know, it was a 14-point spread heading in, 14 and a half. Mm-hmm. Um that you're just hoping that your guys that you started get points in the first half because then they might not just have opportunities to do that anymore. Like Jeff Wilson probably would have ended this game if he played the entire time with, I don't know, 20, 20 carries for 86 yards and maybe two touchdowns, but because it was only what three quarters or two and a half quarters, if that 13 carries 39 yards and a score here. And Tyreek Hill suffered cramping again in the third quarter because it's Miami, the dehydration. I wonder if that's the same thing that happened to Jeff Wilson, honestly. But mm. until Jeff Wilson did get injured and had to come out of the game, every single running back touch, 100% of them, no other running back involved here. This offense is as conservative as you would expect it to be without Raheem Mostert. Got it. Let's go back to uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> Day. He does it. 
that's it. Thanksgiving Day. Bills eke out a win, 28 to 25 over the Detroit Lions. I was making two turkeys at this time, but two, let, two, two different ones. One, you know, with a compound butter beneath the skin, Daigle. The other one yeah. was like a soy orange glaze. Quite good. It, it sounds good, but one is hard enough. Doing two is uh, pretty tall task. Good job, buddy. In the same oven, too. Ooh, tough stuff. Um, okay, Hayden, I'll jump to you for this one. Talk me through the Josh Allen performance, 24, 42, 253. On the other end, you know, the Lions and Jamal Williams uh, surprised me actually with how many rushing yards he was able to get with, you know, the Bills being such favorites here. I guess like, again, on a short week, sticking up to eight and three and continuing on this path for the Bills is like a feather in their cap. It's, it's, it's a win for them. And hopefully they continue it on this mini buy moving forward. The Bills to me, like, they're good, so like they're not that interesting to me right now. I, I saw like Isaiah McKenzie pops for a, a better and best ball game, but to me, like the story from this game was just the Lions like hanging in there. Like they're they have the foundation of a team that can be good very quickly if they can hit on whoever the quarterback upgrade is. They they played a great game. Uh, DeAndre Swift played very terribly. He had uh, ten expected fantasy points fewer than his actual fantasy points. Oof. One of the worst games of the year for a running back and was splitting time. So um, other than that, though, the Lions on defense, even without some of their best players, uh, hung in there. And I think that was like the storyline for me. The targets were at least there for DeAndre Swift. Um, but at the same time, this is now single digit touches in four consecutive games. Just literally an unusable player, especially in, in a week where buys didn't exist. And these are these are full practice, to be honest with you. This is a benching. Yes, this is not correct. this is not injury. Two weeks, two weeks in a row. He's practicing full and it hasn't mattered whatsoever. And I agree, he's not been good. It's just as simple yeah. as that. The point you opened with to me is fascinating because early on this season, we would have considered Bills maybe the best team in the league. There are portions of that. If not top three in the league. Can we sit here and say like they are top three, top five contenders right now? Maybe, but maybe on the fringes of that, and we just don't feel as firm. As we have now, even the best teams, as we always talk about, go through difficult stretches. And some of that is, is injuries. And they've dealt with a lot, you know, in their defensive back group. But Von Miller leaves on a cart. It doesn't seem as serious uh, as it could have been. But he's either having surgery now or he's having surgery after the season. And Von Miller, as we saw against that Chiefs in that Chiefs game, was the difference to take this team over the top of, you know, two minutes left. 40 seconds left. You have to get off the field third and fourth and long. And he's the difference. And if you don't have that either at portions now, or if they get deeper in the playoffs, it's almost the same team as we saw last year, give or take a few players. I think the chiefs are better than the bills. Like not comfortably, but like look at EPA right now, the chiefs in their own stratosphere versus even right. like the bills. So um, yeah, it's, it's been some of these red zone interceptions for Josh Allen. Um, but I think for the most part, they'll figure it out as long as, long as the injuries on the defense um, don't like completely spoil this thing. But I think Josh Allen will, will figure it out for the most part. Um, Amon North St. Brown, dude, he's going to be putting up some monster games the rest of the year. So I, I don't know where I'd rank him rest of the season, but it wouldn't be that far away from top five. He has consecutive games with carries now, too. Like they are they're getting him involved behind the line of scrimmage as well. Cowboys beat the Giants 28 to 20. Dak Prescott, 21 of 30, 261, two scores, two INTs. Uh, both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard get 16-plus carries, and Zeke does better with them. 92 yards. God, he looked great. 
and a score. It's good to see. Like, teams struggle. Cowboys, this is the best they've looked all season long, I feel like. Didn't score a touchdown, but Tony Pollard still out-touching Ezekiel Elliott 2017 as the way it should be. Uh, still explosive, but again, it was Zeke who scored the touchdowns. But yeah, overall, it's, everything's humming along between CeeDee Lamb, Dalton Schultz. The offense is quietly concerted with a couple splash plays here and there, but Kellen and, Moore's in his bag right now. Yeah, and this oh, is the yeah. best I, I feel like we've seen Michael Gallup look this season too. Like a yeah. couple isolated third-down conversions that – you know, there was zero separation, which, you know, is arguable if that's a good or bad thing. Uh, but he was winning them like that. Another brings this element like we've talked about with Tony Pollard that we've talked about with CD Lamb. that We've talked about with Ezekiel Elliott. And now Michael Gallup, again, winning tough, contested third down catches is uh, is really good for this offense. Top he, down. he told one of the reporters that he's like mentally back after and it's like this like confidence kind of issue uh, coming back from these leg injuries. So uh, not a surprise there. I, I would say the. He's not the best quarterback in the league right now, Dak Prescott. No, like definitely not. But like just like quarterback mechanics, how to play the position, like old school quarterback. Yeah. Dak Prescott is like definitely one of the best in the league. This is a weird thing to say, but he's almost the closest thing to like a pre and post snap processor that we've seen to like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like Drew Brees and Tom Brady of this era. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's not the same playmaking outside of structure, multiple arm angles and all that type of stuff, but he just has, he processes everything. So not perfectly, but yeah. to such a high degree that we've seen it too, where he's changing a call design, run right or left, moving all the protections, so on and so forth. Uh, and you know, the rest of their next two games after now being eight and three, the Colts and the Texans, these next two weeks, I mean, Dave, you know, this, I think they had a, over under win total of 10 to start the season. They're going to surpass that pretty easily. And I believe one of my heaviest bets was under because of their schedule. But honestly, the way it's working out right now, like you're not scared of any NFL team at all. So it just, it just mixes up really well right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that uh, on the giants. It's, I'm not going to say it's sad, but it was an awesome story to start this year with all a lot of these one score games And now they've lost back-to-back one score against the Lions and against the Cowboys. Hayden, maybe you don't even have to write those uh, regression numbers after the season because it might even hit during the season. To me, the biggest reason why, and sure, maybe the Giants can make the playoffs, but, you know, I'm not saying they're spiraling, but they've lost three or four. It's because, like, how they were winning earlier in those one-score games was Daniel Jones was perfect threading the needle on those third-down conversions, and that's just not hitting as nicely right now and you're getting washington at the wrong time playing them two of the next three with how their defense is playing right now philly sandwiched in there the vikings are right after that then you end in philly too again despite opening the season at six and one i might even say the odds are not in the giants favor to make the playoffs at the end of this they don't have any talent like yeah it's as simple as that i I think daniel jones has been playing pretty good ball uh probably the best ball that he's played in his career um, and Dave Ball is clearly a good coach, but they remember this offseason, they were selling everybody. And for a yep. reason, this wasn't, this was not supposed to happen this fast. So even if they lose the rest of their games for the rest of the year, I would still chalk this up as a huge win. You got the, and, the head coach, right? And I think we're just seeing 
Saquon hit the wall. He's 10 touches. He's 10 touches away from his highest touch count since his rookie year. And now his last six games, he's averaged 3.3 yards per carry. He does have that 22 point game against the Texans with over hundred yards and a touchdown. But other than that, in his last four games, he hasn't gone over 16 in any, he doesn't scare you anymore, honestly. So I just think the juice is pretty much just tired out. And that correlates with some of the offensive line injuries as well. Yeah. So, but I agree. He, has not, especially, yeah. he hasn't hit the edge and like bursted in a month. Yeah. There are some building blocks, as you all said, though, like the two offensive tackle pieces. We know Evan Neal has been missing some time uh, and then some of the interior free agents that they hit on. It's pretty amazing, though. Like when you consider all offseason, the player they tried to get rid of was Darius Slayton, and he is the most consistent member of their passing game right now. Like week in and week out, it's like three for 40 three for 63 in this game. Uh, yeah, they're just early. They're early in their window. And it's a pretty big decision to make with Daniel Jones this yeah. offseason. And they're probably in that pocket of teams that maybe they can court a veteran, but maybe they just move on and continue. Because I don't. he hasn't been the issue at all. And again, to his credit, as we talked about with, with Josh on scheme, uh, he has gotten rid of like the blinder turnovers where the fumbles and the interceptions like he previously had. Um, just need more playmakers. They should build up the rest of the roster and then draft Caleb Williams in 2024. <laughs> I think everyone, according to you, wants to draft Caleb Williams. They uh, fucking should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more Thanksgiving game. They've got a couple more to hit on from Sunday. Uh, Vikings beat the Patriots 33-26. to Kirk Cousins, prime time, 30-37, 299, three scores. Justin Jefferson torching Bill Belichick, nine receptions, 139 yards, and a score. Daigle, your thoughts on this game? I know it was a while back, but I mean, the Patriots put their entire offense on the shoulders of Mac Jones because they're from a rushing standpoint. You're Ramondre for 36 yards. You're Damian Harris, who left from the injury for 16 yards. And that's it, dog. And that's what I had mentioned earlier that you know, battle royal players were on top of the Patriots defensive splits as genuinely they've been a, a bottom tier defense when they've had to play a competent offense over six yards per play to someone like Tua, Lamar Je Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins this past week. You can't play Mitch Trubisky, Jared Goff without every single playmaker in his offense before they're by Jacoby Brissett, Zach Wilson, Sam Ellinger. You can't play them every week. You're going to have to play some tough teams here and they've been scorched a tough team uh mac jones given the vikings explosive pass play rate allowed on defense given that jones hayden, yes what i hayden what uh, i forgot to mention heading into this game was the kevin o'connell dynamic of what's the right way of putting this maybe it's a narrative streak but growing up in the belichick offense and then maybe knowing the way to attack the defense that has been there and sure they change things but like, I think at some point, this idea of, oh, he takes away the best opposition, like being able to move around Justin Jefferson and funnel things in his direction, he's just an elite talent. And it's impossible to stop that, right? Yeah, unless you're Jeff Okuda in week three. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, at this point, it's like, take away, take away their best weapon, like T.G. Hawkinson, Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Thielen, like, they got a ton of weapons. So like, yep. 
Monter Stevenson has seen six targets and five consecutive games now. He was always the pass catching back. Uh, he didn't need Damian Harris out of the way, but we've, all, we've also already seen him this year with Damian Harris out. And Ramondre Stevenson handled 88% of the team's backfield touches. So like, you know what to do. I mean, you don't need to tout Ramondre Stevenson. He's there. No, the, and the craziest part, just getting back to the Vikings, we can close here on this. They've been through the diff most difficult part of their schedule. Like the rest of the way, it's the Jets. It's the Lions, it's the Colts, it's the Giants, it's the Packers, and it's the Bears. Like some of those teams have good elements, but maybe no one as complete as the Vikings, who are still first in the NFC. One game out from the Philadelphia Eagles. Like I know that there's a debate on how good the Vikings are, but let's say the Eagles hit some stumbling blocks towards the end of the year. The Vikings could theoretically have a home field advantage a and a buy with the buy. number one overall seed yeah. like that is in the range of outcomes here that i don't think enough people are giving possibilities to as we approach you know their final six games of this season yeah it's a good point all right i think there's just one game left to talk about and it's the falcons and the commanders um weird game in that, Taylor Heineke apparently looks like garbage for a lot of it, throws for 138 yards, tries to do things that someone with a stronger arm is capable of doing. But in the end, Brian Robinson, 18 carries, 105 yards. Brian Robinson, 20 yards receiving with a touchdown on the ground, is able to barrel over a Falcons defense to improve the commanders to 7-5 and five and playoff hopes. Anything Heineke... Heineke with a terrible interception for the half gave the Falcons the ball back with 14 seconds left. They did move it into field goal territory, happened to miss the field goal. So lucky one there. Also, there was a spot in the second quarter where Terry McLaurin's wide open in the corner of the end zone and Heineke was scrambling, but did throw it and just overthrew him by a mile. Uh, more importantly for fantasy, we've seen these last two games. Now Jahan Dotson is back and played over 60% of their snaps. McLaurin has dropped to six and a half targets in those two games. And Curtis Samuel, who's now droppable, has totaled two targets in those two games. Uh, Curtis Samuel, remember, was getting there in three wide sets yep. with Carson Wentz because they were flinging it around. This is a different offense without J.D. McKissick. They lean on Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. So I, I just don't think anymore that two receivers can get there for the rest of the year. Very true. Curtis Samuel, 14 routes on 24 dropbacks. And these are Taylor Heineke dropbacks. So they're basically worthless anyways. Speaking of worthless, Drake London. Two receptions, oh, yeah. 29 yards. Uh, Algier and CPAT both get 11 carries for just around 50 yards. Um, look, they're five and seven. I know Arthur Smith has like shooed away any comments on, hey, don't you want to see what you have in Desmond Ritter? Um, once they are eliminated from the playoffs, just naturally makes sense for him to start a game or two, even if he doesn't really want to. I don't know. We're getting to this point where like I understand who the Falcons want to be and what their offense is the season, so on and so forth. Um, but some spice needs to be added and like some entertainment value because I'm, I'm bored watching the Falcons each and every week. I really am. The best thing that could have happened was that last play where they're inside the five yard line to win the game and Mariota's pass is tipped and he throws an interception. That is the best thing to happen to this team this year. The problem with the Ritter stuff though, is they're not going to be eliminated from the playoffs until probably That's the last true. week. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is a fair statement to make because the NFC and where things are at in their playoff races. And look, he, Arthur Smith might also just not want to. Like, we don't know their evaluation. I just feel like 
if you go and try to improve the quarterback position this summer, then you're never going to know what you have in Desmond Ritter. I wasn't a, as big of a Desmond Ritter fan no. as other people were out there, but I would be fascinated to see if Ritter is thrown in here, if there is a different offense that is called versus what we are seeing from Marcus Mariota and his style and everything that trickle down from that. But maybe I mean, he, uh, he was a third round pick, right? Fourth round yeah. pick. Like, yeah. I mean, like we're not building around this, even if you see him for two, two weeks, you're, you're still going to draft somebody. Yep. You said that was the last game we're talking about, but, uh, and I'm only doing this because it's our job. I yep. don't want to do this, yep. but I think the Panthers and Broncos still exist in the East. True. I tried to get around I'm it. Sorry. I'm nope. sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Hayden tapped out. Panthers beat the Broncos 23 to 10. Russell Wilson on the day. Oh, 19 oh. completions, 35 yards, 142 yards. Is it the worst trade in sports history? Let's I mean, it really there. might be. Uh, yeah. The Trent Richardson one is bad, but this one is so much more attached to it. The vibes. like They have the to completely start over. Like, you really have to start over. Nathaniel Hackett has to go after a one year. The issue with all of that, and I, I, I get that in-game management from Nathaniel Hackett has been bad, and now he's already turned the play calling over, so what does he give you? But how different can a Russell Wilson offense be, you know, because you can change the person who's calling the plays and who's in control. But as we have seen during his time in Seattle, the change in play caller does not do any different. Just take Shane Waldron, for example, who's now in Seattle, Geno Smith thriving, Russell Wilson, same offense was not executing it in the same exact manner. This is who Russell Wilson is now. The games of holding the football for so long, escaping the pocket and launching it down the field does not hit the same when you're 30 plus years old with a dad bod as it did when you're 24 years old and let Russ cook. It's really that simple. The only time they scored today was in the fourth quarter after Mike Purcell had had enough of Russ's shit and walks down the sideline and yells at him like face to face, helmet to helmet, cameras all around him. And then Russ just kind of shakes his head and looks away because he knows he can't say anything. This is one of the worst offenses in NFL history. And then he goes back out and throws two touchdowns when it just doesn't matter at that point. Yeah, Field Yates says uh, right now they're averaging 14.3 points. That's the lowest since the Browns in 2000. Um, but to me, like why I say it might be the worst trade in sports history right now is because nobody respects him. Like the Trent Richardson stuff, like, yes, bad. But the other teams are mocking him. And his teammates are yelling at him. This is year one. And we talked about how he's going to be, he's going to decline worse than other quarterbacks, just the way he plays. What happens next year? Yeah. The year after that. I mean, yep. I, I don't know what they do. As their uh, beat writers pointed out too, this is the second game in a row that Patrick Sertan has just been an average player as well. Uh, got burned for 52 yards by DJ Moore here. So like that's been their catalyst. At least their defense was holding up something. They're not respectable whatsoever if their defense is also letting big plays fly by now. Yeah, I mean, a dead money cap hit of $107 million, then $85 million, then $49 million over the next three years for... Russell Wilson. I mean, it's just impossible to get out of it. Like, this is who you are. Like, and the thing is, you can say, okay, we're going to bring in new pieces this summer and like so on and so forth. It really doesn't matter. Like, this is just the style of offense that you play. Everything along the sideline, no quick game, avoid the middle of the field. Now, again, all of these sacks and fumbles are going to happen more regularly because the burst and explosiveness that he used to have does not exist anymore. So, like, you almost have to play around Russell Wilson as we continue on. I mean, it, 
It is the most disappointing player in the league this season. Bar not. Yeah. Uh, oh. oh, yeah. Latavius Murray, 49 out of 60 snaps. So you could do worse. Uh, yeah, that, that and that's kind of the point here. It, it's exactly as you thought it would play out. You know, that snap count, 14 of 18 backfield touches, a 52-yard run, actually the Broncos' first carry of over 20 yards this entire year, and yet RB23 with primetime games to go because this offense sucks so much that those touches don't matter. Yeah, this is a good point from Fiorina. Uh, new ownership just popped up for the Broncos too, and uh, they have to stick with this quarterback as well. I don't feel that bad for them. They own Walmart. That, I mean, billions and billions and billions of dollars. They're going to uh, make it. Two things real quick. Credit to Sam Darnold for like high ankle sprain training camp popping up here after, you know, you've been replaced this summer. No one wants you with a Matt Corral selection with, you know, a trade for Baker Mayfield. And you pop up 11 of 19 for 164 yards. Get DJ Moore involved for 130 yards in the score. That's all we can ask from you, you know. And also credit to Deontay Foreman, who was in and out of this game with a, a low left leg injury, and he completes it for 24 carries for 113 yards. Again, this is the game script that we love for him. Like, he is such a bulldozer when there's positive and neutral game scripts, and this is the occurrence that you get. The Panthers just shouldn't be winning games, but that's a conversation, I guess, for I another mean, Given that it was Darnold's highest passer rating since week 12 of 2019, they probably won't win much more. I wouldn't worry too much about it. I also want to bring up, there's not that much more that Steve Wilkes could be doing to like prove that he deserves consideration or even the coaching job. I'm not saying he should get it, but three home wins this season against the Bucks, against the Falcons, and against the Broncos. I believe that equals or surpasses Matt Rule's home wins throughout his entire career already. Um, he of Nebraska Cornhuskers fame. Um, so credit to you, Steve Wilkes. You know, it's your second opportunity when we're talking about one and done on the other end, which Nathaniel Hackett should be. Look, if Steve Wilkes got fired after one year, Nathaniel Hackett should get fired after one year. But that's a lot. It's not that simple. All right. That's going to do it for us. Let's get out of here. Uh, we're going to be back here with a loaded stats versus film week. On Tuesday, I know Daigle, because of all these injuries and bye weeks are, are back, thank you, uh, has a loaded waivers podcast and waivers column up on 444, obviously, with Betsperts as well. Go and check that out. Appreciate you all tuning in. Share the channel with one friend. Can you talk to me? Up the boat. See ya.